Welcome back to Murder Under the Midnight Sun. Thank you for joining me, and as usual, this episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Thank you so much for your continued support of the show. And without further ado, let's get into tonight's case. For this episode, my main source was the book Finding Bethany, written by retired Anchorage homicide detective Glenn Klinkart, who ended up playing a major role in her case. On May 4th, 2003, at 6.45 a.m., a passerby contacted the Anchorage Police Department Dispatch Center to report that they had seen a building engulfed in flames on M Street in downtown Anchorage. The address of the fire was 622 M Street, and the fire department raced to the location. Within just a few hours of that call, a completely different type of report was called into dispatch, and the given address was 612 M Street, directly next door to the burning building. This time, the caller was reporting a missing young woman named Bethany Carrera. The person calling to report her missing was her mother, Linda. Bethany had only just moved in to apartment three on the second floor of that M Street fourplex approximately five days prior to disappearing. Bethany Rose Carrera was born August 29, 1981, and was 21 years old on the day she went missing. She had been born and raised in Talkeetna, Alaska, which is a small and very cute census-designated place that has been around since the early 1900s, and it's located 110 miles north of the city of Anchorage. It has been designated as a National Historic Location and still retains many of the original buildings. It's a very popular destination for outdoor activities, being located at the junction of three large rivers. In recent years, it has become known nationally for its mayor, an orange cat named Stubbs, who gained the honorary title as a three-month-old kitten in 1997 and kept it for 20 years until he died. R.I.P. Stubbs. Bethany, her mother Linda, father Bill, brothers Jamin and Brian, and sister Havila lived in a dry log cabin during most of her childhood. The family was very tightly knit, and along with her siblings, Bethany had been homeschooled by their mother until high school when she began attending Susitna Valley High in Talkeetna, where she was remembered for being a great athlete having participated in track and field, basketball, and volleyball during her high school years. Though she had some, though she had led somewhat of a sheltered childhood, she was not completely naive when she came to Anchorage in May of 2003. She had traveled quite a bit in her latter teens, including being a missionary in other countries and her faith stayed an important part of her life into her early adulthood. She was fairly self-sufficient and really into sports and staying fit. She was also incredibly intelligent and had done really well in school and had the vague plan of someday going to medical school. At the age of 21, she was a lovely and physically fit young woman 
weighing 120 pounds, being 5 foot 6 tall, with shoulder-length brown hair and brown eyes. But despite being slender, she was known for being very strong due to her unique childhood in which the family had to regularly gather water and chop firewood for the cabin. She'd also been a bit of a tomboy as a kid and had roughhoused with her brothers and played hockey on a boys' team. As she grew into a young woman, she was still very much into health and physical fitness. Unlike many 21-year-olds, she was not at all interested in the party scene. She didn't drink much and had never done drugs. She was definitely a bit of a homebody. It seemed as though the discipline she had learned during her high school sports days had carried over into adulthood, and she still enjoyed many outdoor activities, such as running, hiking, fishing, etc. She had lived in Talkeetna for most of her life, but, like I said, had done her fair share of traveling abroad. Eventually, she ended up living in Nome, Alaska for a while, which is a small coastal town with a population around 4,000, located over 500 miles northwest of Anchorage, right on the Bering Sea. While living there, she had worked an administrative position at Bering Air, which is a small airline that shuttles passengers to different towns and villages throughout northwest Alaska. While working there, she had met a pilot named Ray Bettner, and the two had begun a relationship after being co-workers for a while. Eventually, she had ended up back in Talkeetna for a bit before deciding she wanted to move to Anchorage in late spring 2003. She had plans to take college classes in the fall in Anchorage, gearing towards a future in the medical field. She was ecstatic when she found the apartment for rent on M Street in the Anchorage downtown neighborhood of Bootlegger Cove. It's an older part of downtown overlooking the tidal flats of Cook Inlet and is so named for its history as a route used by smugglers bringing alcohol into Alaska during Prohibition. The rental seemed like the perfect choice for her. The fourplex apartment building where she would live at 612 and the duplex next door at 622, which was soon going to burn down, were both going to be demolished in the fall to make way for some luxury condos that would be built in that same location. Because of that, she was able to do a short-term lease on the apartment just for the summer. The downtown location was very appealing as well because she would be within walking distance of lots of great places to shop and eat. And even more than that, it would be appealing for an outdoorsy person like Bethany to live because there are several popular outdoor destinations in that area, such as Westchester Lagoon and the 11-mile-long coastal trail, which starts at 2nd Avenue downtown and which is always packed with runners, hikers, and walkers during the summer. That part of town also has some gorgeous coastal scenery. And just to give you an idea of how sought after that neighborhood has become over the years, the luxury condos that now stand where Bethany's apartment once was rent for over $2,300 a month for a one-bedroom. And so, the week leading up to Bethany's disappearance had been a very exciting one for her. She had moved into her own apartment in a great location and had begun to explore her new city. She and her boyfriend, Ray, were continuing their relationship long distance. And just a few days after moving to M Street, Ray had come to visit 
taking a couple days to spend time with her in Anchorage while en route home to Nome from a Hawaiian vacation. And despite her short tenancy in the city, she'd already been hired by the company that owned the apartment buildings to do some cleaning around both buildings. As I mentioned, Bethany's family was close, and she still talked to her mother on the phone often. They had last spoken on Friday, May 2nd, and made plans for that Sunday morning. Linda was going to drive into Anchorage from Talkeetna and pick Bethany up to spend the day with her shopping and exploring Anchorage. Linda had shown up that day as planned at 10 a.m., but no one had answered the door when she had knocked, and she had then discovered that the door was unlocked. Thinking Bethany may have stepped out for a minute, Linda left and ran a few errands before returning to find that Bethany was still not back. Looking around further, she could see that her daughter had apparently walked out of the apartment without her keys or phone, which was very unlike her. And even more nerve-wracking was that Bethany's car, a blue Toyota, was still parked by her apartment with a dead battery. And it was then that Linda decided to contact the police and report her daughter missing. When Detective Klinkert was summoned to the apartment of a missing young woman, he was startled to see the building next door, the two-story duplex, that had been almost completely gutted by fire though thankfully it had been unoccupied and no one was injured. His detective brain immediately thought this was either a bizarre coincidence or that the fire and the missing woman could be connected. When Klinkhart spoke to Linda Carrera, she told him that she had contacted Bethany's new boss, a man named Michael Lawson, who was the apartment manager, and he said he had last spoken to her on the phone on Saturday morning, just in regards to some cleaning jobs she was going to be doing around the apartments that day. Linda had also spoken to Bethany's boyfriend, Ray, and found out that he had talked to Bethany early on Saturday as well. But nothing seemed out of the ordinary, and no one else seemed to have seen or spoken to her since then. While the fire department was still working on sifting through the destruction caused by the fire next door, law enforcement searched Bethany's new apartment, and there were no real immediate signs that foul play of any kind had occurred there. All of her personal belongings seemed to be there, including her purse and wallet with money inside, and keys and ID cards and bank cards. And since Bethany had just moved in, the place was very spartan in appearance, with very little in the way of furnishings, so searching didn't take too long. Detective Klinkart spoke to some of the guys that were attending the scene of the fire, and early indications seemed to lean towards it being an accidental fire caused by electrical wiring. But upon viewing the blackened building mere yards away from Bethany's apartment, Klinkart just couldn't shake that suspicious feeling. He was definitely beginning to think that there could be a connection. The then 37-year-old detective not only had a lot of experience investigating homicides, but his life had been personally affected by a murder. 
As a teenager in 1981, he and his parents and younger brother had driven from Anchorage to Kenai, Alaska for Easter weekend to visit family members. His 17-year-old sister Dawn had stayed in Anchorage because she had to work that weekend. He knew that she was planning to have a party, and he really wanted to be allowed to stay so he could hang out and party, but his folks would not let him. While the family was at his grandparents' that weekend, some local police officers showed up at the door to inform them that there had been a fire at their house the night before, and 17-year-old Don had died. However, the news would get much worse. After they returned to Anchorage and law enforcement was finished investigating the fire, they learned that Don had thrown a decently sized party after they left. And one attendee, a 19-year-old named Alan Chase Jr., who didn't actually know Don prior to the party, had shown up with a friend of a friend. After the party had died down and everyone else had left, and Don had gotten into bed to go to sleep, Chase had returned to the house and broke in before raping and strangling Don and setting her and her room on fire. As Klinkhart says at the beginning of his book, Finding Bethany, quote, you don't have to have a murdered sister to be a good homicide detective, but it helps. And with the suspicious fire and missing girl happening in such close proximity, and in a relatively short period of time, he couldn't help but think of his sister, and he couldn't help but noting that the day Bethany disappeared, May 3rd, had been his sister Dawn's birthday. Klinkart could never have guessed it on that first day, but Bethany Carrera's disappearance was soon going to become an obsession for him. It's also worth noting that during his 17-year career in law enforcement, he was involved in investigating hundreds of cases, and so far the only one he has written about is Bethany Carrera. And now let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Support for Murder Under the Midnight Sun is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most sensitive parts. And now is a great time to see what all of us is about. With my exclusive offer code, Midnight Sun, you can enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. And I recently mentioned to two of my best guy friends that my new sponsor was Manscaped. They were blown away because they are huge fans of Manscaped products. With their new Lawnmower 4.0, Manscaped has engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. You will feel supremely confident putting your boys in Manscaped's hands. So check out the Lawnmower 4.0 at manscaped.com and get ready to make me time the best time. And don't forget, you get 20% off and free shipping worldwide with my promo code MIDNIGHTSUN 
that's all one word, M-I-D-N-I-G-H-T-S-U-N, at manscaped.com, and get ready to have the best grooming experience of your life. Just two months prior to Bethany disappearing, Clinkhart had been involved in the search for two missing brothers, eight-year-old Malcolm Johnson and five-year-old Isaiah Johnson, who had last been spotted in the early evening hours playing outside not far from their own house. The search had turned into the largest ever conducted by the Anchorage Police Department and had severely emotionally affected many of the officers involved, including Clinkhart, whose own son was five years old at the time. Many of the officers began to believe that the boy's family was either directly or indirectly involved in their disappearance. A theory was formed that they had been kidnapped because of a hypothetical drug debt that their mother owed. They had found that she had connections with some low-level drug dealers. But other officers, including Clinkhart, didn't think that's what had happened. Departmental arguing over the case had made it even more stressful for those involved. And then, after a few weeks of the search, the absolute worst happened. It had been three weeks since the boys were last seen, and Clinkhart got a note from dispatch that a patrol officer had found a child's shoe. It was located partially submerged in a pond near the boys' house. This pond and many others in the area had previously been searched to no avail, but this time when divers searched the deep pond, they located the bodies of both brothers. It would later be determined that the boys had accidentally drowned due to a combination of deep water and cold temperature. The case had been a major clusterfuck and huge embarrassment for the Anchorage Police Department, and Clinkhart had very seriously considered quitting his job because of it. But now here he was just two months later, attending the apartment of yet another young person who had seemingly vanished into thin air. As soon as the media caught wind of Bethany's disappearance, it dominated headlines statewide for days and weeks to come. Being a beautiful and innocent young woman with a close family and religious background and having no history involving criminal behavior, drugs, or alcohol, she was just the type of missing person that the media likes to latch onto. And right away, her story was just everywhere. Many family friends, neighbors, and extended relatives of the Carreras traveled into Anchorage from Talkeetna to join in with a large amount of Anchorage residents to begin searching for Bethany. Hundreds of flyers were printed and distributed throughout town and many people spread out and began searching her neighborhood and surrounding areas. On his very first visit to Bethany's apartment, Detective Clinkhart had gotten a lead he wanted to follow up immediately. On Bethany's fridge, he had seen a business card that had been stuck there from Michael Lawson, project manager for Branch Associates, who owned the apartment buildings. He was Bethany's new boss and had written a note on the back telling Bethany to call him and giving her a cell phone number. 
Klinkart decided to follow up on that lead the very first day that he had seen Bethany's apartment. And he and a patrol officer named Chris Riddella drove over to Lawson's house, which was 10 miles across town in the South Anchorage neighborhood of Ocean View. At the Lawson resident was 45-year-old Mike Lawson, who actually looked quite a bit older. He was a toadish-looking man with a huge head and slicked-back dyed black hair that looked straight out of central casting for The Sopranos, and his brother Bob, who was small and thin with a large mustache. Mike said that he worked for Brandt's Construction, and he had been the one to rent Bethany her apartment, and that he had last spoken to her the previous morning in relation to some issues she was having with accessing the buildings to clean them. He said he had heard from her mother, Linda, that Sunday morning, and had told her the same thing, that he had not spoken to Bethany since Saturday. The detective noticed that while he and Officer Riddella were speaking with the men and attempting to get their alibi for the weekend, Mike would do all of the talking. On the surface, he seemed gregarious and eager to help, whereas Robert stayed silent and didn't volunteer any information. When asked what the two had done all weekend, Mike explained that they had mostly stayed home and watched NASCAR all day Saturday, but then had gone out to the bars Saturday night and stayed out late. Mike gave them a list of bars that they had gone to. After the officers finished asking their questions and left the residence, they both remarked that they'd gotten a weird vibe from the brothers. Robert had continually glanced over at Michael whenever the officers had asked them a question, and Michael would answer all of the questions for both of them. They made a note of the white truck parked at the house and also had received information on a white SUV that Mike said he drove for work. Later, detectives did background checks on both brothers, and they saw that, dun-dun-dun, Mike Lawson had been convicted of aggravated sexual assault over a decade prior in a different state. The detectives would definitely be keeping a close eye on the Lawson brothers. Bethany's boyfriend, Ray, had flown into Anchorage as soon as he heard that she was missing. He went straight to law enforcement and told them he'd come down from Nome to assist in any way that he could and help look for Bethany. As any true crime nerd knows, the significant other should always be viewed with suspicion, even if there is no crime, <laughs> until they can be ruled out. It didn't help that Ray, at 37, was 16 years older than Bethany and was still legally married to another woman. Technicalities. But he was glad to speak to law enforcement, and Klinkart was the one to question him. Ray described his relationship with Bethany, explaining they had met at work in August 2002 at Bering Air in Nome. He said that he and his wife Lacey were long separated, and that it had taken him a few months to convince Bethany that his relationship with his wife was over before she would agree to date him. Though he did admit that his wife Lacey was not a fan of Bethany, and had even once called Bethany's family to tell them that she was a homewrecker. At the time of her disappearance, Bethany and Ray had been in a relationship for around six months. 
He did have a concrete alibi for the day of her disappearance, as he had been at work at Bering, where he was a pilot, and it would be pretty easy to verify since he had been flying passengers around northwest Alaska all day Saturday and Sunday. He th told the detective that he had last seen Bethany the prior week when he had stopped over in Anchorage to visit her on the way home from Hawaii. He said everything had seemed completely fine with her, and Bethany was just very excited about her new life and new apartment in Anchorage. Ray also told Clinkhart that during a short work break on Saturday morning, he had called Bethany just to chat, and she had told him that Mike Lawson had woken her up early that morning with a phone call telling her she was supposed to assist him in doing apartment showings that day. She had not been happy that Lawson called her so early on Saturday morning and suddenly told her that she had to work with him that day when it had not been mentioned previously at all. So while Ray's interview did provide some helpful leads, it seemed to rule Ray himself out as a suspect. And he also offered to take a polygraph and submitted a DNA sample. And soon enough, law enforcement was able to completely verify alibis for both him and his soon-to-be ex-wife, Lacey. So Flinkhart decided to follow up on the info Ray had given them regarding the phone call. They spoke with Greg Branch, who owned Branch Construction, and who had been the one to actually recently hire Bethany. During the conversation, Branch revealed that Bethany was not supposed to be hired to do apartment showings at all. Her job simply was to be cleaning the apartments. And the only person that was supposed to be doing apartment showings was Mike Lawson. So based on this new information, Clinkart decided he needed to speak with Mike Lawson again. He showed up at a construction site where Lawson was working one day. And when he questioned him about the phone calls between him and Bethany prior to her disappearance, Lawson said that she had called him Friday afternoon, saying she had an issue with using keys to get into the apartment she was cleaning. And so he had called her back the next morning to help, but she'd already figured it out. This was obviously in direct contrast to Ray's explanation of what he had been told about the phone call. During the course of the day, the detectives had also learned that Lawson's wife, Patty, had very recently, within the last few days, just abruptly left him and left the state. While at the work site, the detective noticed that Lawson's white SUV was parked nearby. He asked if he could just take a quick look. Lawson allowed him to do a perfunctory search, but he didn't find anything at that moment. So he then pressed Lawson to please come to the station and officially put his story on the record. But all of a sudden, the seemingly talkative and friendly Lawson got very nervous and said he would have to find out if he was free that afternoon. Within just a few minutes of Plinkhart departing the work site, Lawson had already called his work phone and left a message saying that he had decided to lawyer up and his new lawyer had immediately advised him against going in for a recorded interview. So just when things are getting interesting, 
I'm going to wrap up part one of the Bethany Cabrera story there. It turned out to be much more in-depth than I remembered from having read the book years ago. But next time around, you'll have the conclusion to this story. Until then, good night and good luck. Or something more original.